So much of modern motherhood is spent wishing we were doing better, whether we're comparing ourselves to other moms or to the ideal mom we assumed we'd be before we had kids. But this wishing takes us further and further away from joy, and it stops us from being the mom we want to be. I'm Rebecca Brownwright, and I'm here to help you focus on connection, because connecting more deeply with yourself and with your kids will help you forget about mom comparisons. Connection will help you resolve behavior issues with your kids, and connection will help you live a life full of real joy, because that's what you and your kids deserve. Pause and connect with me for a moment to listen to discussions about connection and motherhood, finding your purpose, smashing cultural narratives, and so much more. This is Pause and Connect. Hello and welcome to Pause and Connect. I'm Rebecca Brownwright and this is episode eight, what to do when your kid freaks out. (laughs) So my daughter and I were taking a walk around the neighborhood one day. Um, She was about seven or eight and I had to tell her no about something. I, I can't even remember what it was, but I remember this meltdown so clearly because she was older, like seven, eight, nine, something like that. And she was screaming and crying, even though her friends were watching just a few feet away across the street. Like she didn't care what people thought of her. And I was flabbergasted. I'd been a mom for enough time to know that meltdowns happen, but I didn't know how to handle them at this stage when I thought that they should be over. And then truthfully, I still didn't know how to handle them at the younger stages. And I hadn't handled this, this child, this daughter's meltdowns very well at her younger stages. I just didn't know what to do. And so here we were seven, eight or nine, and they were still happening. Now, the meltdowns in public like this one were super embarrassing, and you've had them, you understand what I'm saying. Now, the meltdowns at home left me feeling helpless and angry. I I didn't understand why they were happening. I didn't know what to do with them, so I yelled a lot. I took away toys. I did everything I could to try and control those meltdowns and get them to stop. (laughs) It wasn't pretty, and I know you understand me, right? Uh... Fortunately, I learned a better approach along the way, and I began using this approach when my youngest was two, and I still use it for all my kids, and then even for myself sometimes. So in this episode, I'm going to share some do's and don'ts for how to handle meltdowns when you're trying to do it in a connected way. This connected way doesn't involve consequences or punishments. Here at Pause and Connect, we are about seeking solutions through connection, and I'm going to walk you through how to make that work for you and your family. And after you begin handling meltdowns in this more connected way, you're going to find that your own emotions are going to be so much easier to to control. So if you feel like you yell a lot, or if you feel like you, um, you, you go off the handle or things are just really, really hard for you to handle, that's going to be easier to control as you begin handling your children's meltdowns in this more connected way. So I hope that sounds exciting to you because it, it really is, a it really is something that is going to change your life if you do this. Because if you're anything like me, your kids' meltdowns can send your own heart rate pumping and your head filling with anger. And there's really nothing wrong with feeling overwhelmed by your kids' meltdowns because they're hard. (laughs) But there is a way, a connected way, to make it all more manageable for everyone and to reduce the length of your child's meltdowns. Wouldn't that be wonderful to make them shorter and to reduce the frequency of your child's meltdowns, to have them less often, and then to calm your own heart and your own nerves, because that is just as important as helping our children get through these meltdowns. So first, why does your child freak out in the first place? Why do meltdowns happen? (laughs) 
This is really important to understand because your child's meltdowns might seem ridiculous sometimes. Now, I know we've all experienced the toddler furious at us for giving them the blue cup when they wanted the green cup. And the funny thing is, a lot of times, and I say funny, but it's really not funny in the moment to us, right? A lot of times you give them that green cup or you give them the blue cup when they wanted the green cup, but they actually asked for the blue cup in the first place and, and, and you just can't please them. So you've, if, you, if you've had a toddler, you've experienced something almost exactly like that. I, I am just sure of it. And then if you have older kids or teenagers, you've experienced other meltdowns. You, you've, you've seen your kid blow up at you for looking at them, quote unquote, wrong. This, this stuff happens. And it's really puzzling. But when you understand a little of their brains, it makes a bit more sense. So you've heard of fight, flight, or freeze, right? This happens when your child is feeling stress. In the stressful situation, that what they are having is an amygdala hijack, where their brain is responding as if there's a predator. Now, there isn't really a wolf hunting them down. So the blue cup situation seems ridiculous, right? But no, this is a stressful situation for your toddler because they don't have control. They don't feel good and their situation isn't working for them. So they have that amygdala hijack and that fight, flight, or freeze reaction kicks in and they fight you with tears, with screams, with kicking, with throwing. But this still feels a little weird, right? Because why would they be feeling threatened by the wrong cup or the wrong look or something like that? Well, the thing is, kids' frontal lobes in their brains are not fully developed. And those frontal lobes are pretty important. (laughs) The frontal lobes help us with things like logic, reasoning, self-control. So if that part of the brain isn't fully developed, then they have a hard time accessing the, uh, accessing their logic, reasoning, and self-control. So your child isn't truly in danger when they get the wrong color cup or a crusty look from you, but their frontal lobe doesn't always let them access that mature logic, that reasoning, and the, that self-control that they need to handle this situation. So think of it like a flood. Their brain floods with this intense emotion. It's an emotion that they really don't like. And it's scary because it's the only thing happening in their brain right now. It's flooded and it feels like a threat. Now later, when they're calm, they're not going to need to kick and scream because the flood will be gone. But right now, while their brain floods and their undeveloped frontal lobe doesn't let them access reasoning and logic, well, (laughs) they're going to freak out and you've experienced it. Remember, children think emotionally. We, we all think emotionally, actually. But it's really important to rem- remember that because logic is not always the deciding factor in your child's reactions. And to be fair, it's not always the, the deciding factor in our own reactions. So when we can recognize that in ourselves, we can certainly understand that in our children, right? Now, does this mean that we can't expect them to use logic? No, no, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that when their brain is flooded with emotion, they don't have control. And when we know that, we can adjust our responses to help them and us. So in these times when their brains are flooded, kids don't have the ability to sit and discuss what's going on in their brain. (laughs) They can't say, mother, I feel really frustrated that you said it's time to leave the park. I would like to spend more time here. Would you be open to a negotiation? (laughs) Like they just can't do that. Now, understanding this is so important because it provides this nice framework for how we can then approach our child when they're having a meltdown. So when we get what's going on, we're better equipped to handle their problems. Think of it this way. Here's another example. If you have a leak in your ceiling, 
but you don't know where it's coming from, you can't fix it. You just can't. So every time it rains, you're going to see this leak again. Telling it to stop isn't going to make it stop. You can't will it away. It's going to be there no matter what. But if you get up on the roof or you hire someone to get up on the roof and figure out where the leak is, you can figure out how to solve the problem. You can buy the right supplies. You can, you can do all the right work that you need to do to fix that leak. Now, it's similar with kids. If you don't know where the meltdown is coming from, then how can you respond in a way that will help? So that's why we're talking about that undeveloped frontal lobe. That's why the meltdown is happening. Now that we know that they have an undeveloped frontal lobe, they can't access their self-regulation abilities when they're having a meltdown, then now we know. And now it's a little bit easier. And I say a little bit because it's, it's still not easy. But now we know that we can respond in a way that will help. Because now we know what we're dealing with. We've seen the leak. We get it. We know that what to do to fix it. So let's talk about how to respond. I'm going to give you a bunch of do's and don'ts in this episode. Now, the first thing is to take care of yourself. (laughs) We've all heard that oxygen mask theory a hundred times, you know, in an airplane emergency, if you need to use the oxygen masks, who are you supposed to put it on first? You're supposed to put it on yourself first, because what good are you going to be to your child if you pass out, right? So this first do in this episode is do take care of yourself. This is preventative maintenance. Now, I always, I always laugh when I read articles about how to help your child with meltdowns when they say, stay calm, (laughs) because I think, really, how are you supposed to stay calm when your child is screaming in your face and throwing toys all around the room? Like I, my frontal lobe can't handle that, right? It's really hard. And it's extra hard to try and access our own calm when our own needs are not being taken care of. So that's why this is the first do. If you make your own self-care a priority, whether or not your child is in a hard phase, then you're going to be better equipped to remain calm when your child inevitably freaks out. Now, this doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you will be more ready and capable of handling your child's big emotions. So how do you take care of yourself? Does this mean you need a bubble bath every night? I don't know, maybe for some people, but more likely, and what I'm talking about is you need the basics. You need sleep, you need food, and you need a shower. So make these non-negotiables if you can. But I do want to say if you have a newborn or some other challenging life phase or, or some other huge challenge in your life, I salute you because these basics are not always easy to come by. And please have some grace for yourself and don't feel bad if, if it's hard enough just to get the sleep and food and shower. Additionally, though, um, once you've got that sleep, food, and shower, you do deserve to do what you love. So don't trick yourself and say that self-care is going to the grocery store alone. That's running an errand. <laughs> Meet your basic needs, the sleep, food, and shower, and then make sure you get to do something you love. You, you, de- you deserve it. This makes us feel whole. It, it could be as basic as like binge watching a Netflix show, or it could be elaborate, like going away for a rock climbing weekend. I, I don't know what, what you love in your life. And of course, your stage of life, your income, your mobility, all of that largely determines what you can and can't do. But you do, to do deserve to do something you love. Even, even, if it's, even if it's just a five minute meditation in the morning, you do deserve to do something that brings you happiness and joy. And when your basic needs are being met, and then when you even get to add in something that you love, like we're talking about, then it becomes a little easier to handle your child's meltdowns. 
Because then when your child talks back to you, you don't have to fight your own emotionally flooded brain because that happens to adults too, because your brain is being taken care of. One other critical component of self-care is to forgive yourself and learn from your mistakes instead of beating yourself up for not being perfect. If this is a challenge for you, listen to my podcast episode seven. It's called Why You Think You're a Bad Mom. It talks about how to be kinder to yourself. Now, the point here is not to overwhelm you with a to-do. I don't want you to hear this and say, great, here's another person telling me to go get massages every week. I just want you to understand that you are worth basic self-care and self-love. So do what feels right to you and what fits into your life, but make sure you do it. That's the point here. Don't let yourself be so completely back burner that none of your needs get met. Not only do you deserve to feel good, you'll also be able to manage your child's meltdowns with so much more calm when you feel taken care of. So this benefits everyone. Okay. Our next do is do have a plan when your child has a meltdown. And that's what we're going to continue to go into in this episode. Do have a plan. Do know what you're going to do the next time your child freaks out. Because we know it's going to happen. We know that our child's going to freak out today, tomorrow, the next day, maybe seven times today. (laughs) So make a plan for what you will do instead of being blindsided when it happens. And don't worry, we're going to make that plan in this episode. Let's get into that planning stage, shall we? Let's start with a don't. Don't lecture. When your child is having a meltdown, don't lecture them. Remember this important information from before. When your child is having a meltdown, they are not accessing their logic. Their brain is actually preventing them from accessing logic and self-control. It's not their fault. It's just biology. So even though you're tasked with teaching your child how to behave appropriately, This moment when they're having the meltdown is not the time to give them a lecture. It sure is tempting though. (laughs) If your teenager slams a door and tells you you're the rudest person in her life, you really might want to say, don't you dare talk to me that way and then go into why they can't. But that's your own brain flooding with emotion. So be aware of that. Your brain can flood with emotion too. And you can avoid this more often, like we just said, by remembering to manage your own self-care so that your brain has peace in it and and it's being taken care of and then also remember to have a plan which we're developing in this episode so when your five-year-old throws a toy at her baby brother this is not the time to launch into a lecture okay that's that's what this don't is do not lecture she threw the toy because she was upset if you lecture her she's not going to hear you so save the teaching for later it's all about timing this leads us to another don't and don't worry There are lots of do's coming that will help you know what to do instead. But the next don't is don't talk your child out of their feelings. When your child cries because, let's say, water spilled on their paper that they're coloring on, don't tell them it's not a big deal. Don't tell them it's going to dry, so they should be fine. It's just water. Don't don't tell them this is a small thing. Don't tell them one day they're really going to know what a real problem is. You know, sometimes we get a little sarcastic with our kids. Really don't. Don't do that. Do your best to not do that. Let's say like if your teenager breaks up with someone, don't tell them this is just a tiny moment and you're going to have more breakups. Don't, don't do that to them. Don't tell them, oh, you're better off. I didn't like that person anyway. Don't do that because everything they're feeling is real. It's all valid, even if it doesn't seem like a big deal to you. So make sure you're not using words that make them feel small. Like don't say, you're just freaking out over the tiniest thing. 
To them, it's not tiny. And to them, it's not freaking out. Let them have their feelings because nobody wants to fight to explain that their feelings are valid, which brings us to a do, which is do validate their feelings. This is one of the most powerful tools a parent has. If, if you just learn this tool and this is the only tool that you grab, you're going you're gonna to be fine probably like, I don't know. I'm not good at statistics, but let's say 80% of the time because validating their feelings strengthens your child. It helps them stop fighting to be heard. And that's what so much of the meltdowns are. They feel they're not being heard and they have to fight. They have to prove that what they're going through is hard. But when you validate them, they don't have to keep doing that. It helps them feel secure with who they are and their place in their world, their place in the family, their place in your world. It just helps them feel secure. Just think of how you feel when someone doesn't validate your own feelings. I once tried to tell a family member about some negative experiences I had had, and then this person told me that I didn't know what real problems are and that my problems weren't bad. My experiences weren't that bad. Other people have them worse around the world. So do you think I'm ever going to talk to that person about my problems again? And I don't even just mean about my problems related to that one subject. Like because of the way that person responded to me, I'm never going to share anything personal with that with them again, unless I can see that they're a safe person again. But if they don't show me that, I'm not going to share anything with them because I can't trust them to hear me or respect me. It is too emotionally exhausting to try and prove to somebody that my feelings are valid. And I'm not going to do it as an adult. So why would we, why would we expect our children to be okay if their feelings aren't being validated? We absolutely don't want to do this to our children. We don't want to shut them down. We don't want them to feel like their feelings aren't worthy. We want them to process their feelings in a safe way. We want to be safe landing places for our children where they can work out all the messiness of life. They can do it with us. So do validate. Do show love and acceptance for your child's feelings. Now, how do you do this? Put some of these easy phrases in your pocket. These are so easy to just pull out and they work and you can elaborate on them as you go. But here here they are. You can say, this is hard, period. Say, I'm sorry, this is hard. You can say, you really wish it wasn't this way. You really wish your brother didn't take the toy from you, don't you? You can say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, period. You can say, I wish this didn't have to happen. I wish that you didn't have to have a teacher who was expecting so much of you. I wish that you could enjoy this class. I wish that you didn't have to feel heartbroken. Those are some easy things. Say, this is hard. You wish it wasn't this way. I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't this way. Really simple, easy phrases that are so powerful. A way to make a validation even more meaningful and effective is to pair it with a hug. So this is our next do. Do hug. If your child welcomes hugs or physical closeness, give that to them when they're having a meltdown. Now I want to remind you why this is important. Because when your child is freaking out or having a meltdown, they cannot access logic and reason. Their brain is flooded with their huge emotional response. So you can do a whole world of good by being a calming presence for them. Going to them and being near them physically or touching them gently or hugging them helps them to feel safe and secure. It helps them to calm down. It helps them to regulate their emotions 
as they're feeling your regulated emotions. It's called co-regulation. It's a scientific thing that it really works. It helps calm their brain. Remember, you've been doing the work to get your own needs met, so you now have a better chance at feeling calm when your child is melting down. So if you go to them with a hug right as they begin to melt down, you're already calm and you're going to help their brain calm down as you co-regulate. And there's even more science behind this because hugging triggers the release of oxytocin, which you probably know is a hormone, uh, the love hormone. It's associated with trust, with safety, with love. And it also, this is so cool, it lowers their stress hormones. So she's Louise, it's like we have a built-in meltdown stopper, hugs. We were born with this. We were given this tool and it's an enjoyable tool. It's one that we can live too. It goes both ways. When you hug your child, you also get the oxytocin benefits. You also get to have your stress hormones lowered and you also get to feel that trust, safety, and love. So that means you're not going to escalate and your child's not going to escalate. It's, it's, it's incredible. Now, people might tell you that this is spoiling your child if you're giving them a hug when they're melting down, if they're freaking out, or if they're doing something inappropriate or against the rules. But seriously, how could it be spoiling them? If our job as parents is to support, nurture, and teach our children, wouldn't it make sense that providing them with safety and security when their brains are flooded with emotion is the most important thing we can do, the best thing we can do for them? It's not spoiling. It's helping your child's brain grow and develop to be emotionally strong, resilient, and safe. And that's exactly what we want them to learn. You're helping them learn how to regulate their emotions. And that's incredibly connecting for the two of you and empowering for their whole selves, for their whole lives. It's incredible. It's incredible. Now, of course, if your child doesn't like hugs, don't give them hugs, but do what you can to be close to them, to connect to them. Maybe they're okay with a hand on a shoulder, or maybe they're okay with you sitting right next to them and and like letting your shoulders touch or something like that. Um, Figure out what they like. Hugs are wonderful for the kids who will accept them, but not every kid will. But you can still use that same idea to get close and connect physically near them or with them. So now this leads me to a don't. Don't send your child away when they're freaking out. And don't send yourself away. Unless you have to, unless you're about to explode and you have to step away for a moment. But hopefully you're you're learning from this that we're taking care of our our own needs so we're feeling a little bit calm and we're acting quickly to connect with our children so that we're not getting worked up we're not we're not getting ourselves giving ourselves time to work up and get angry because we're very quickly rushing in with that validation and with that hug and so we've calmed ourselves down before the fight has escalated, okay? Uh, of course, that's not going to happen every time, <laughs> um, but that's, that's the goal, okay? So don't send your child away and don't send yourself away unless, of course, it's gotten way too escalated and you have to be away from each other. But try and get there quickly. Now, this bit of advice goes against traditional parenting these days because timeouts are really encouraged. And I think that happened because um, spanking is so discouraged. And thank goodness spanking is discouraged because spanking we know is so damaging to children now. But we've just replaced the spanking with timeouts and, um, and they, don't, they, they just don't work the same. 
They, they don't they don't do what connecting through the challenges do. And I, I really if if this is a new concept, like stay with me and trust me, it, it does work. Okay. So remember the oxytocin of hugs. Remember the immaturity of your child's brain and the inability to access logic and reason during a meltdown. So think of that. And when you send your child away from you during their personal crisis, it's going to leave them without the tools they need to calm down, without the tools they need to learn from this and to do better because their brain is flooded. So they can't access their reason and their logic and they're separated from you. So they can't access that calming presence, that love and that comes from the oxytocin and from you being close to them. So they're just on their own and they're not going to learn what they need to learn. They're not going to get better at this. It's going to, to be hard for them. So your child still needs you, especially when they're freaking out. They need you when they're being quote unquote bad. And I say quote unquote because kids really aren't bad. And I want to do away with that completely. Kids are learning. They are not bad. So don't send them away. But as I'm saying this, I, don't freak out. Um, I'm going to give you another tool here. <laughs> what do you do instead, right? This is my next do, which is do change your mindset that you're in this for the long haul. Okay, so the meltdown is right now and it's hard, but your relationship is forever. So change your mindset from how do I get through this meltdown? How do I make my kids stop? to how do I connect and build my relationship, even right now in this meltdown. When you approach the meltdown from a place of connection, rushing to connect with your child instead of separating them from you to try and teach them a lesson, then you'll stay with them until they're okay. So that's what we're going to do. Instead of sending them away, we're going to stay with them until everything's okay. Now, this isn't always easy. (laughs) It's really not, especially in the beginning but it will work and it gets so much easier as you go along. So let me tell you about the uneasy part. I began doing this on the advice of a therapist. My daughter had the longest meltdowns. I'm talking hours. If you've been here, you know. If you know, you know. If you don't, be glad that you've never experienced this. Nothing I did fixed these meltdowns. And it was really aggravating because I had other kids and other needs that that needed to be taken care of. And these meltdowns were taking over the entire family for hours. And it, it wasn't just like once a month. It was multiple times a week. So our therapist suggested that I hold her during her next meltdown. And she was about eight years old at this time. So I was like, this is crazy. You want me to hold my child when she is screaming at me, when she is slamming doors, when, when, when I'm furious with her, you want me to hold her? This is crazy. But she challenged me to do it. And then she challenged me to time how long the meltdown lasted. So remember the meltdowns had been hours before sometimes going to bed with, without solving it. Tears from both of us, slam doors, yelling, shouting, stomping, and even spanking sometimes when I had no idea what else to do. It was bad. Now, the first time I held my daughter when she was having a meltdown, 10 minutes. For 10 minutes, she cried in my lap. Now, this was a long 10 minutes and I almost gave up, but 10 minutes and it ended. It ended and we snuggled and we talked and the problem was resolved. And we went back to our lives. I took care of my other kids. I took care of my other needs and we didn't go to bed in tears that night. Now, this was monumental. Again, if you know, you know. I began doing this more and I began doing it with all of my kids. 
And then soon, it only took a minute or less for my children to calm down from my hug, from my staying with them. So that's why I say this is not necessarily easy in the beginning, especially if you have if you have a kid with with those with that if you have an extreme relationship with a child where where you where there's this history of just fighting forever, like I had with mine, it could take time for this to work. But the more you do it the better it works and the better your connection gets. So soon I wasn't so flustered every time someone had a meltdown. Soon I had this fantastic new tool that worked every time I used it. Now, I still needed to use other tools that I'm sharing in this episode, but that mindset of staying with my child instead of sending them away, well, it changed everything. And you know, this works if your child wants to go away from you too. If they refuse the hug, if they refuse your comfort, you can sit yourself down and say, that's okay. I love you. And I'm going to sit outside your door until you're ready for love from me. And then do it. Sit and wait. They'll come to you. You'll heal together. It's incredible. It's healing. It's beautiful. But that's not what we're, we're told. And it's hard because it takes time. And so you have to have that mindset of you're in this for the long haul, not just to stop the meltdown in this moment. Now, my little boy used to run away from me when I, when I started doing this. He was three and four. He'd run away when I tried to give him a hug when he was melting down. So what I would do is I'd sit down in the living room and I'd say, that's okay. I love you. I'm going to wait here. I'm going to stay right here. And as soon as you're ready for some love, you can come back. No, he, he was so sweet and cute. He'd peek around the corner and when he'd see me noticing him, he'd run back away. And I'd just say again, that's okay. I love you. I'm here for you as soon as you're ready for some love. And eventually he'd crawl into my lap. It, it was sweet and it, easy, easy with this kid. But it works with my teenager too. Because if she stomps off because she's just too mad at me, I'll say, that's okay. I'm going to be here as soon as you're ready for a hug. And eventually she comes back. So if you're starting this with your nine-year-old or your 15-year-old and you've never done this before, I'm not going to promise that it's going to work right away. Remember with my eight-year-old, it took 10 minutes of holding her while she screamed and cried. It was a very, very long 10 minutes, but it was a much better 10 minutes than those hours upon hours of screaming and crying that we had had before. Now you might need to add your own twists to this. You trust your intuition, trust, trust what you're feeling as you're staying with your child, as you're approaching your child with the mindset of I'm in this for the long haul, I will stay as long as my child needs me stay with them. Then you're going to have your own intuition and know what to do. It will work. Everyone wants love from their parents. When you keep connection at the center of your exchange with your child, you're eventually going to connect. So do change your mindset from how to get through this meltdown to how to connect and build your relationship. Now what to talk about once you've validated your your kids' feelings, once you've hugged them, once you've stayed with them, that brings us to our next do, which is, well, do label. Label what they're feeling. Now remember earlier, we talked about getting rid of saying things like, oh, there's nothing to be mad about, or it's not a big deal. Like we're not saying those anymore, okay? Instead, we're validating and we're saying, this is hard. You wish it wasn't this way. I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't this way. Now you can also add on to that and you can label what's going on once your child is feeling calm. Don't do this when they're melting down. This comes after you've done the hug, after you've done the the validating, after you've stayed with your child. Now they're still, they're whimpering. They're still a little bit upset. They're they're maybe still looking at you with defiance, but they're they're calm and they're listening. So at this point you say, oh, you're frustrated. You couldn't have the green cup, aren't you? 
Now that puts a lot of power in your child's powerless world. Now they know why they're upset and they know that you understand. So if your teenager is stomping around because they have to do chores that they don't want to do, you can say, you're upset because you have so much homework to do and you're worried that these chores aren't going to leave you enough time to get your homework done, aren't you? That feels good. Being understood is powerful. Your child doesn't have to fight you anymore. They don't have to demonstrate their frustration with stomps and throws and scratching and hitting because they know you get it now. And this also helps your child understand that feelings are normal. It's really totally fine to feel stressed about too much homework. It's totally fine to feel stressed about the green cup. It really is. You know, sometimes I have really silly little things that make me so frustrated. We all do. You want your child to go through life unafraid to experience their emotions. So do label. And if you don't know why your child's upset, then you guess. You say, and you guess and you ask. You say, you're angry because your sister took your shirt. Aren't you? There's the ax. Aren't the ask. You say, aren't you? Now, if you're wrong, your child will tell you. They might say, no, I'm angry because you don't buy me cool clothes and I feel like an idiot at school. Well, now you have somewhere to go. Now you know exactly what's going on and you can figure out how to help. But the labeling that you did is what allowed that to happen. Labeling does that. You either get it right and your child feels validated. Yes, I'm angry because my sister took my shirt. She always does. Or you get it wrong, but your child has the chance to tell you what's really going on. No, I'm angry because you don't buy me cool clothes. And when you know what's going on, you know how to move forward. It's just like that leak in our, in our ceiling. We need to know why it's happening before we can fix it. So another tip is to listen and repeat what your child says. If your child says they hate their sibling, you can say, you feel like you don't like your sister. No judgment, no moralizing or lecture, lecturing. You just repeat what, they, what they're saying. Of course, if they're saying hurtful things about their sister in front of their sister, like you go somewhere where they can't be overheard. You don't allow that to happen. But the point is you listen you repeat, you label. All of this helps your child lose that need to fight. One of the most important things to remember through all of this is that kids do well when they can. If they aren't doing well, if they're melting down, if they're not calming down, it's because something's getting in the way. So if your child is melting down, they're lacking a skill in this current moment. When you keep this in mind, you can handle this moment as a moment rather than an epic lifetime failure. Which leads me to my next don't. Don't take it personally. This is hard, okay? Because your child might tell you you're mean. They might tell you they hate you. You're the worst. They might scream in public. They might smash things and destroy things. They might hit you. And it's hard to not take that personal. But it's not personal. Your child is overcome. They're overwhelmed. They actually need you so much in this moment. So it's helpful for me to repeat the idea that kids do well when they can as a mantra. So I'll say kids do well when they can over and over. Kids do well when they can. Kids do well when they can. Kids do well when they can. And that removes the personal the, the, from, the, from that difficult situation. So if they're saying I hate you and I say kids do well when they can. Kids do well when they can. Then I'm not taking it personally. Remember... It's so important to take care of your own basic needs regularly because that also is going to help you withstand these incredibly hard moments. And then all those other tools we've talked about, the hugs, the staying with them, the labeling their feelings, the validating of their feelings, that's going to help them calm down and and move through this. Now, do remember perspective. This is hard. This is so hard. But this is a moment in your relationship. 
your relationship. The relationship is the important part of this entire exchange. If your child is difficult, remember to keep connection and perspective at the center of your actions when you can. Of course, this is not easy to do every single time. But always be willing to forgive yourself. If you wish you reacted a different way, if you blow up, remember that you're human too. And kids do well when they can, but also adults do well when they can. We're all learning and this is hard. So to sum up, remember, children freak out because their brains are not fully developed yet. Remember, you deserve to take care of your own needs. And when you do, you'll be better equipped to handle the difficult emotions that your child will throw at you. And they will. This is not an if, it is a will. Remember, do have a plan. And that plan involves hugs instead of sending kids away, validating emotions instead of telling kids to stop, changing your mindset from how to get through this meltdown to how to connect and build your relationship. Remember, you have those additional tools of labeling what your child is feeling, remembering that kids do well when they can, and remembering not to take their behavior personally. Keep this all in perspective. Your relationship is the most important thing here. When you focus on connecting with your child in their meltdown and staying with them, you're both going to get through this stronger. I hope this has been helpful. There's a lot in this episode, but all of these principles are expanded on everywhere I communicate, on social media, in my emails. Uh, If you can get on my email on my email list by going to my website, um, in my blog posts and in every other podcast episode, this is all elaborated on all the time. So follow me to hear these principles again and again and again and again, so that they're going to become more routine in your life. The more we, we hear this and talk about this, the easier it is to live this way. And then if you need a refresh on what was said in this particular episode, go to rebeccabrownwright.com for the transcript or You can even just send me an email at connect at rebeccabrownwright.com and I'll send it over to you. Please feel free to share this with someone who needs this message. Remember, this is a process and no matter where you are, don't compare yourself to others. Just keep going. You're already doing such good work. Thank you so much for pausing and connecting with me today. Your support seriously means the world to me. If you found this episode helpful, I want you to know I have countless other resources for you to find more connection in your motherhood and life. Head to my website, rebeccabrownwright.com to check out my blog, check out my back and forth journal for parents and kids, and take a look at Pause and Connect Academy, where you can find courses to help you stop yelling, find your strengths, and finally get your kids to listen to you. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a positive review, sharing it on social media, or sharing with your friends. I love you, and I want you to thrive in your motherhood and life. Thank you for being here. Now go forth and connect.